0: Welcome to Nourish, Heal Your Relationship With Food, a podcast by me, Peter, a non-clinical certified intuitive eating coach and certified eating psychology coach. Intuitive eating and healing a relationship with food can be really rather daunting. There's a lot of conflicting advice out there and a whole lot of jargon. This podcast aims to debunk eating myths and guide you to a healthier, more comfortable relationship with food. Welcome to episode four. So this week I'm trialing recording the episode for YouTube as well on the camera. Um, So for those watching on YouTube, if you notice I move a lot from side to side, um, that's because I have a back injury and I have to keep moving. So I have to do everything standing um, at the moment still to manage the pain in my back, um, including recording this podcast. Let's delve into this week's episode. So there are usually one or two intuitive eating principles that my clients can find to be huge hurdles. Some they absolutely breeze through, and it kind of almost comes naturally to them or they've done work on those particular principles in the past and they're feeling really confident about it and really comfortable and it's part of their comfort zone and then there are others that we have to delve into much more deeply um, that they really struggle with and for many of my clients honoring hunger and fullness are kind of those some of the bigger hurdles to overcome So overeating to the point of feeling really uncomfortable falls into these intuitive eating principles, as does ignoring hunger and eating too quickly to notice when we're satisfied. So for others, it can be undoing and understanding where certain behaviors around food have come from. And each and every client I've worked with has always felt really embarrassed and ashamed to admit that they secretly, and yet the majority of us at some point in our lives have secretly eaten. It's getting into the whys and understanding how to very kindly work through this that some some clients kind of need that further help with. Sometimes it's food inspiration, sometimes it's gentle nutrition, other times it's being kind to themselves or joyful movement. We all have parts of these 10 principles that cover how to eat intuitively, which require more work, um, and sometimes we require support to work through those areas with someone who understands and is trained to do so, like me. So can you use the intuitive eating, hunger and fullness cues whilst on a diet It's a question I get asked quite a bit. We can eat intuitively on a diet, right? I know you may still wish that the answer was yes, but no. Research when we restrict food, we experience a neurological response. The longer we restrict, the stronger our brain reacts to food and even images of food can kind of be that. Um, trigger for that reaction we want it more we obsess over it and studies have shown that restricting leads to an insatiable hunger which we often then think of as binging unfortunately by dieting by restricting certain foods or putting rules on certain foods you can eat this you can't eat that that is a form of restricting by doing this we mess up those fullness levels those hunger cues etc. A researcher named John Ferrate said in his book, Living Without Dieting, dieting is like holding your breath. At some point, you have to breathe. And when I read those words for the first time, I was like, yes, that is totally it. That sums up dieting perfectly. Evelyn Triboli, a researcher and dietitian who co-authored the book "Intuitive Eating," often speaks about dieting using the following analogy to describe what restriction of food and that, la- that kind of loss of control feels like. So imagine you're swimming in the sea and a huge wage, wave, not wage, wave. <laughs> imagine you're swimming in the sea, and a huge wave is approaching you. You hold your breath ducking under the wave, waiting for it to pass, and then you swim to the surface when you break the surface and take a breath of air it won't be this calm little sip of air it's going to be a huge gulp and lungfuls of air to catch your breath if you've been under this massive wave and this is because we're compensating for the fact that we couldn't breathe normally for a short while our response to food restriction is no different it is a compensatory response much like without air without food we can't live When there is a threat to that fuel our body requires, our instincts are to compensate. It's an instinctual survival mechanism. This restriction, also known as dieting, has been proven to lead to binge eating, weight gain and eating disorders. And yet we're fed the message, pardon the pun, that weight gain is solely due to eating too much and not moving enough. But our weight is affected by over 100 factors including, but not limited to, genetics, which explain 60-70% to of the differences in people, family history, family culture, routine, socioeconomic status, where we live, our activity levels, our race and ethnicity, our age and sex, where we work, our culture, our sleep, medical conditions, our community, medication that we take, and many, many, many more things. Studies have shown that our body shape is 80% determined by genetics alone. So diets. According to Professor Tim Spector, a fifth of the UK population are on some form of diet at any one time. That's 13,330,000 people. And yet waistlines continue to expand by an inch every decade. Tim ran a really interesting experiment with identical twins who wished to lose weight. And he selected 12 sets of identical female twins. And most people would kind of predict that the twin who had the most willpower to stay on their diet would lose the most weight. But over the course of 20 years of following the twins, that was not the case. The twins, on average, throughout the 20 years weighed the same. A similar study ran with twins who started off at the same weight at the age of 16. And by the time the twins were 25, the twin who had dieted weighed on average 1.5 kilos heavier than the twin who hadn't dieted. Another study of 500 adopted children compared their weight with their adoptive parents and their biological parents. Now, if weight is largely dictated by food and exercise and environment, the children's weight would be similar to the adoptive parents. That's where they live. That's the food that they're eating. That's the movement they're taking part in. But it wasn't. In fact, researchers found that the children's weight correlated strongly with the weight of their biological parents and not at all with the weight of their adoptive parents. You can influence your weight, but only within a set weight range. I'd like to invite you to have a look if you have any apps or gadgets that track calories and food. How would you feel if you stopped using them? This may be worth doing a spot of intuitive eating journaling on. Grab a pen and paper and note down anything that's kind of bubbling up for you around this, any fears that are coming up, any beliefs that you've got there, and kind of check in with them. I'd also like you to think about the ways in which you've been taught to write off hunger. Maybe it's having a glass of water, maybe it's smoking, maybe it's chewing gum. I've heard of people going to bed early. I've heard of people drinking a glass of water. I've heard of people painting their nails so that then they can't touch food because their nails are wet. This is what diet culture teaches us. Ignoring hunger signals damages our body and mind's capacity to get it right. And over time, we become less sensitive to those signals. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, episode three on interoceptive awareness and tuning into those signals, you're gonna find that really interesting. So that's season one, episode three of the... Nourish, Heal Your Relationship With Food podcast. Um, Bodies can't tell the difference between our self-imposing restrictions and actual food scarcity. Our hormones play a huge part in hunger, eating and appetite. They signal when we're hungry and full and ghrelin, the hunger hormone, increases when we restrict food when we're on a diet. So the more we restrict, the hungrier we get. It not just in your head the intuitive eating hunger and fullness scale is a scale i use with my clients both one-to-one clients and the um, participants of nourish a online group an online intuitive eating group program it's a mouthful so the hunger scale is really is a really really useful tool which helps to tune in and connect with our intuition the scale spans from one to ten One being starving hungry and ten being really uncomfortably full. And if you find using numbers triggering, try using words like pleasant, unpleasant and neutral when thinking about hunger and fullness. So can you recall a recent time where you were really hungry, like a one or a two? So that uncomfortably hungry, unpleasant hunger. How did you feel? I encourage you to write this down if you can and just take a little moment to kind of journal on intuitive eating again and see what's bubbling up for you and then i'd like you to recall a time where you recently felt overly full so unpleasantly full uncomfortably full or a nine or a ten on the scale if we're using numbers how did that feel you're not going to get intuitive eating perfect every time. You're not always going to be eating until the comfortable fullness point and not go past it. You're also not always going to kind of eat before you get too hungry as it were. But notice when you don't do this, you see Katie in the back, for those watching on YouTube, Katie was in the background running around the sofa. Um, Notice this when you eat You kind of leave your hunger um, past a point where you would be comfortably hungry and you're absolutely starving or where you eat past the point where you're comfortably full. Notice it, acknowledge it and learn from it for next time. Notice how you're feeling. And by noticing your next time, you're going to be in a better position to notice it earlier and do something about it. You may find that you don't fill yourself up enough in the morning. So you end up snacking more during the day, wondering how you can be hungry and having had breakfast. You're probably like, well, I had breakfast. I don't know why I'm hungry now. But if you're only feeling up to a four or five, or you're only eating foods that don't kind of sustain those energy levels, you're going to be hungry mid-morning. It's going to happen. Do what works for you. It's all about kind of Feeling into it, experimenting, seeing how you feel about certain things, seeing which foods sustain you for longer, seeing which foods maybe don't, but they're really yummy, so you have a snack mid-morning, and that kind of thing. It's just about experimentation. It's commonplace to judge hunger, but try not to. For women especially, our cycle plays a huge role in this. I know that my hunger can be off the scales on days 24, 25, and 26 of my cycle. And I always want toast, like I eat a good few rounds of toast for snacks during those days. And the thing is, because I know it's those particular days, because I've tracked it in the past and kind of gone, ah, oh, that's really interesting. It's on those days that I get really packaged and really want to have toast. And I've kind of looked at that alongside um, my cycle. I've gone, makes sense. Like my body's gearing up for something that's gonna be a little bit more taxing, require a little bit more energy. In noticing this, I'm, I'm better able to kind of be gentle with myself and not get worried at all and not think that I'm always eating. We can kind of be really judgmental around food and if we're always eating a certain thing. So it's also about kind of better understanding yourself and linking things up and questioning why as well, rather than just beating yourself up about it. So are you hungry or thirsty? Believe me. They are two totally different things and our body knows the difference. It is diet culture that's kind of said, if you're hungry, maybe you're just thirsty, drink a glass of water and then see. I hope that this has kind of been helpful in understanding, I know it's only a bite-sized short amount, but I hope it's been helpful in helping you to understand how whilst many people wish we could diet and eat intuitively, it's just not possible. For many There is more nuances to hunger and fullness, and this is what we delve into in Nourish, an intuitive eating group program, and in my one-to-one coaching session. So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in healing your relationship with food and delving into that in a a deeper way, please head on over to nourishingsoulfully.com or email peter at nourishingsoulfully.com, and we can have a chat about what would work best for you what you feel like doing, Nourish enrolls two to three times a year and um, I take on one-to-one clients a couple of times a year too. So next week we will be looking at why you haven't been able to find food freedom yet but until then remember be gentle, be kind, you're doing the best you can always. Nourish, heal your relationship with food is a podcast created and edited by me I would so appreciate a like, a review, a rating as this will help the podcast reach new ears and if you think others would find this podcast episode valuable please feel free to share it with friends, family or